Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abual Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. You're from The Rock, as we're doing the Zoom. Rock. So I can see The yes. Rock. <laughs> Mount, the Rock of the Treehouse. Right. <laughs> Mount Lindland. Um, well, oh, people, like thought was, people thought it was a backdrop. Yeah. They thought it was a fake backdrop. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's The Rock. That's that's fake who, would have, who would ever expect a boulder in somebody's office like that? Yeah. It's, it's exactly. pretty good. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about what we've been driving and I think we should start with the gas car, go to the hybrids and then finish with the gas stuff. So Sam, uh, you had the Altima with the funky, weird variable compression turbo engine. Uh, what'd you think? Um, so it was kind of a mixed bag, you know, the, the Altima, you know, the current generation Altima is a, a generally a nice enough car. I've, I've driven it before and we've talked about it in the past. Uh, you know, it's, it's pleasant, you know, drives fine. It's roomy. You know, I have no real complaints about the, the design. Um, one, th- one, one complaint I did have previously was the, um, uh, where the, the hood line, uh, because the hood is, is one of these modern ones that kind of wraps over the sides. So the cut line is along the sides rather than on the top. And they, they do that um, for better uh, pedestrian uh, protection uh, because of the, the, way it, the way the metal folds out if, you know, if a pedestrian lands on the hood. Um, but the, the cut line, you know, at the back, as it comes up to the A pillar, it, um, goes up and, you know, then across. And on the last couple of Altima's I drove, that gap seemed to be really large, you know, and it, it seemed, it, it didn't seem to be particularly well aligned. And it seemed like the, the stamping for the, the hood panel was actually not, you know, almost not folded over quite enough as much as it should have been to get it get everything really lined up nicely. And this one definitely seemed better. It seemed like a more even gap all the way around. So that was good. So they made progress there. You didn't get your hammer out You're- and like try to fix it yourself? <laughs> no, no, no. Flatten no. It out Do you remember though, last summer I had, uh, I think it was the Murano that it was so pronounced, like the misalignment was so pronounced that I actually told them i said you guys need to fix this because it wasn't okay i remember like, you yeah, talking I, about I, it yeah right yeah and, and i had bad. mentioned that i had mentioned that to nissan when i had the first time i had the ultima as well i told them i said hey you know I, I noticed this and you know i had while i had it i actually drove over to the local nissan dealer here to look at the other ultimas that were on the lot to compare oh, it wow. and they were all the same way so oh, clearly the, the the early production uh of examples of the current generation Altima, um, you know, had some issues there and it, it yeah. seems to be better now. I mean, it's still a, a comparatively large gap, you know, but it's, it's not as bad as it was, or at least my impression is it's not as bad as is it was. That, is that something you think, like, I know we, we notice it and it bugs us, but is that something you think that they can get away with a lot more um, than we might think automaker wise, because con- general customers don't, 
tend to care as much. I mean, we've talked about body gaps on Teslas and stuff too, and it's the same thing. You know, people don't seem as concerned about it as we do. Teslas are different though. Yeah. I I think, you know, I think you're right, Rebecca, Tesla's, you know, Tesla owners, you know, tend to be more lenient. Um, I think most customers, I think it depends on the price point and kind of like what, what segment you're in. Mm. You know, I think if you're talking about a $15,000 car, yeah, customers are going to be a little more lenient. Um, when you're talking about a almost $39,000 car, maybe a little less so. Really? The Ultima uh, cost 40 grand? This one did, yeah. Wow. This is the Platinum, you know, with the turbo engine. And it was, yeah, just shy of 39 grand. Um, and, you know, which takes me, you know, to, and I think, you know, the, you know, the hood alignment, you know, or that hood gap, I think is less of an issue than some of the other things inside, which I hadn't really dwelled on that much uh, the, the previous time I drove the Altima. So this this particular Altima was, they finally launched um, the upgraded version or the, the uh, premium version with the um, two liter VC turbo engine. So this is the variable compression turbo charged four cylinder that they launched last year in the uh, Infiniti QX50. And, you know, this is designed to replace a V6 in this kind of application, give the similar power output to a V6. And, um, you know, it's probably not quite as, in terms of pure power, it's not as, not as good as the, the V6 they had in here. It's 236 horsepower, but it's got 267 pounds-feet of torque, which is, is great. Um, and no complaints about the performance of the engine. Um, you know, and what's, what's unique about this thing, you know, if you look inside, uh, it's got um, – uh, this linkage that actually moves uh, moves the uh, there's a linkage attached to the connecting rods that changes how uh, how much uh, how much of a compression ratio you get and it's continuously variable it's it's kind of, it's bizarre to look at and you know to think that this could actually work but it, it actually works really well and the engine is, I found was actually really smooth and you know back when they first announced it. Um, year and a half, two years ago, I think it was at the LA Auto Show, I was talking to the chief engineer for the engine from Nissan. And, uh, you know, I was asking him about, you know, some of, some of the things about this. And one of the things he, he mentioned, um, because there's no balance shaft on this one, they, uh, he said they, they actually didn't need a balance shaft because the, the way this thing is set up, you know, the relationship between the, the pistons and the crankshaft, you know, it's kind of offset. And you actually have, you know, one of the things that causes balance issues in an engine is the angle, the, the side forces, you know, so the piston normally goes up and down in the cylinder and the, the connecting rods swing back and forth as the crankshaft goes around. Well, because of the way this thing works, the angles there, when, when those connecting rods swing back and forth, that actually puts side forces from the piston on the cylinder walls. And those side forces are part of the imbalance you get in a four-cylinder engine. And this actually has um, lower side forces, significantly lower side forces than a conventional four-cylinder. So it's actually a really smooth engine. Uh, it, do- it doesn't seem to vibrate as much as, as even you know, engines that have balance shafts on them. Well, it's, so that, that part's really good. Yeah, it's probably, I would assume as well, that they can crank the compression ratio down uh-huh. for stuff like idling, where you know, yes. higher compression is going to wobble more. but. It still has, I'm assuming because it's a four cylinder, it still has that sort of rocking couple, right? Where, you know, you got either two pistons down and two up at all times and 
so it's, yeah, but it's, it's but it's still it, it is it is reduced. Yeah, um, you know, so you you feel it less in this engine than you would you know in a conventional four cylinder. I will have to pay more attention to that the next time I have the VC turbo. Yeah, so you know, I I I like the engine. Um, you know, one of the reasons why they they did this, why they you know claimed they did this, was for better fuel efficiency. You know, better fuel efficiency compared to the um, to the V6. You know, and I think the claim was like twenty seven percent better fuel efficiency relative to the 3.5 liter V6 that they have used in the past in the Altima. That's kind of a low uh, and, bar. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was, it was okay. You know, it's, it's EPA rating on this is 29 miles per gallon combined, which is pretty impressive. I averaged uh, about 26. Uh, so I was a little shy of that. Um, so, but you know, it, it's, it's acceptable for, you know, for a non-hybrid midsize sedan. I think that's, it's pretty decent. Um, but, you know, getting back to that price point of $39,000, after having had the, the new Sonata just a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks before I drove this one, it was really noticeable, even though this was, you know, the, the platinum trim level, the highest trim level, uh, you know, it, it had this fake wood trim across the dashboard. Um, and the thing that really caught my eye that I, for some reason, I hadn't really noticed before was the trim around the, the center display. So, you know, like most modern vehicles, it's got the, the stand-up touchscreen display in the middle of the dash, you know, that looks kind of like a tablet perched up there. And the plastic trim around that looked really cheap. I mean, it was, you know, it was, you know, a couple of, you know, it looked like a couple of pieces snapped together. And I'll, I'll, I'll include a picture uh, of that in the, uh, in the post so you can see. But um, compared to how premium that, Sonata, that new Sonata feels, this really felt like a car that should be significantly less expensive than that car. It didn't seem like it was in the same class, even though it clearly is very much in the very, you know, a direct competitor to the Sonata. It did not feel the interior did not feel like it should be in the same segment. I think, you know, I remember years ago driving with the notorious Bob Lutz and he said some of the standards that he was trying to implement at GM, um, in particular fit and finish, was actually from Hyundai. And he felt like they had some of the best metrics and the best you know, gap measurements, things like that. And I, I never forgot that because that was more than 10 years ago. And we're really starting to see the fruition of that attention to detail in the Hyundai and Kia pro and Genesis products, you know, the three of them. But I think that Nissan has really been kind of caught flat footed in a lot of ways by the, by the emergence of Hyundai and Kia as really, really good products, really, you know, standard bearers of, of what can be done when you pay attention. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that, you know, and, and I think that bears out in, in Nissan's, uh, you know, success or lack thereof in the marketplace in the last few years. I think, you know, people are going out and, and shopping for these vehicles. And this is, this is why, you know, even though Nissan is pricing their vehicles competitively with, you know, the rest of the market, um, you know, you often find, you know, substantial discounts on them. And, you know, I think they have, I think for the last several years, they've had among the highest rate of fleet sales. You know, if you go look mm -hmm. at, have. you know, rental car yeah. fleets, you'll, <laughs> almost, you'll, 
usually find more, almost more Nissans than pretty much anything else these days. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, that party is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, the, so the, the Altima is a good car. And mm-hmm. like fundamentally, I, I like this generation of it. Um, but I think you're right, Sam, especially in this, this shrunken market for sedans. If you're cross shopping with, with the other options out there, you start to see what Nissan has been doing. And they, it's almost like they took their eye off the ball of, uh, sort of offering value. And they, they, they said, how can we make this? Like we, we've improved it where we need to improve it. It's definitely competitive in the market, but it also, you look and you see where they've cheapened it or they've just built it to a cost. And that doesn't make it bad, but when you're looking at something like the Sonata, I agree because I, I spent some time in that too, and I was astounded by how how solid and premium that car feels to the point where I'm also curious if Hyundai is is pulling the old Toyota trick of maybe not making any money on that car to to gain market share. That's possible, but you know the thing is every manufacturer you know part part of you know developing a, a product. You know whether it's a car or any other product, is to understand. You know, I mean, you obviously want to take out. As, you know, if as, if you're going to run a business successfully, you need to take out cost um, where it makes sense. You know, where where it's not going to have a functional impact. You know, so you ideally you you don't want to um, you know reduce the functionality of your product by taking out cost, but at the same time. Um, you know, you need to do it in a way that is not going to impact the customer experience or, or the thing. And I, I, you know, especially in something like a car, you know, a car is something so complex. There's a lot of ways that you can take cost out in areas that are not necessarily going to be, vis- you know, immediately visible to the, to the customer. Um, you know, you look at a dashboard, you know, there's a lot of pieces that go into a typical mm-hmm. dashboard. You know, and you find a lot of seams and things like that. And the 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 goal is to design it in such a way that, you know, those seams are hidden, so they're not visible. And the problem with the Sonata versus the Altima, I'm I'm sure you know the Sonata, you know Hyundai engineers are doing the same kinds of things, you know, to try to take out cost, take out mass. You know, I mean that's part of the goal. You know, the the less it costs you to build it, you know, um, the more profit margin you get on it what the problem with the ultima is some of these things that they did are like right there mm-hmm. where you can right in front of you where you cannot possibly miss seeing it and you know that that's the kind of place where you want to you know take more care you know where it's right right there next to the the touch screen you know which you're going to be looking at a lot you know to, yeah. to use anything and you know, you want those seams to be invisible and, and they, they didn't do that. And the thing too, is that, you know, like we were talking about, like, will that customer notice, you know, that may be the discussion that they have. Oh, that won't matter. This customer won't notice. But if somebody else like Hyundai says, let's give this customer the most value because then maybe eventually they'll buy an even more expensive car then you have that comparison. So if you operate in a vacuum and say, oh, you know what, historically this customer hasn't really cared about fit and finish or materials or, you know, seams in the dash and such. But if somebody else cares, 
then all of a sudden that design matters and that attention to detail does start to matter and you start losing your competitive edge. And I think that's a lot of what's happened at Nissan. I think a lot of their products are still good. Mm-hmm. It's just that that other, you know, whether it's Mazda or Hyundai or somebody else, they've they've emerged as really, really worthy competitors. And I just feel like Nissan hasn't hasn't kept up. I mean, you just described what happened in the 80s, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like like or the exactly. 70s and 80s where GM was like, yeah, yeah, they, people don't care about that. And they, they had so much market share that they didn't feel like they needed to worry. And then you had the upstarts that, you know, their cars were little jewels. And yeah, no, I mean, not in the 70s for sure. And then GM and Detroit started making bad copies of Japanese vehicles. And that's not why people wanted them. You know, people, they were buying Japanese vehicles for a variety of reasons, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, so I I think you can't get away with it on the interiors though, Sam. I I think like, especially if it's, if it's right there. And even if if people are cross shopping, they're going to sit in the Sonata and the first thing they're going to notice is how nice it is and how Uh good it looks and how, how nice everything feels. And that's absolutely going to stick with you. You can get away with a lot more on the bodywork, <laughs> I think, <Yeah. laughs> than inside, because that's like you're staring at it all the time, uh, yep. every every mile of every drive. So that that actually has to be good, and and I think it does uh, very quickly lead to a, a decision to purchase or not purchase. Um, all right, let's let's jump around because we've got the okay. hybrids. I want to do the hybrids all at one, uh, or the 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 non hybrids all at once. Um, so uh, Rebecca, you had the the Lexus GS. 350 and uh that's a dead car rolling yeah <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah <laughs> i did so this was actually i had it a couple of weeks ago and uh one of the things that i did with it was uh to drive down to long island oh my god so i go from <laughs> where so on I long island from, so i had to go to uh Oh my gosh! What was the name of the town? <laughs> uh, I'll look it up. It wasn't I had to far. go to Beth Page. I had to play I, some actually, golf. Actually, you know, oh my god! I think it was Beth Page. <laughs> <laughs> they got that course there, Beth Page Black, right? <laughs> Been to Beth Page Black. So, so um, one of my closest friends, her parents live on Long Island, and I, and I had something for for her mom specifically knitting yarn. So I said, you know what, this is a perfect time because ordinarily, even though they're about, it's maybe like 45 miles, it's normally like an hour and a half drive because yep. of traffic, right? Mm-hmm. So this was uh, at the end of April, I think it was. And so I talked to her mom and I was like, hey, listen, you know, it's a gorgeous day. Uh, do you mind if I pop down? And it was unbelievable because I actually got there in it just under an hour and we sat outside with masks on and I chatted with her parents and it was just absolutely lovely but it was actually good to take that car on you know pretty pretty bad roads <laughs> and stuff and you know I I struggle with with Lexus sometimes because I think they 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 again they kind of they they made a really good car for a long time and they made a luxury vehicle for a long time but now you know and it, it, this has got a it's a 3.5 liter v6 engine so there's plenty of power in it it was a lot of fun in that regard six-speed automatic transmission you know easy to easy to get used to easy to interact with like it was a nice drive um but it's just boring it's just so boring there's nothing passionate 
or emotional about driving these cars. I do have a visceral and emotional reaction to the infotainment system, but not <laughs> in a positive way. <laughs> well, so I think you're uh, with the GS. It, it's a nice car and a sort of a, a time capsule, right? It, it always, yes, it's like 2014. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yes. And their infotainment especially doesn't help, but you know, the, the GS is a car. And I think the reason why they're getting, getting rid of it is that it's just sort of, it's, it's stuck in that segment. And now that the heat is off sedans, there's, there's nowhere for it to, to go. You know, you've got the, the IS um, that probably still does. Okay. Um, right. But you know, the people who would shop the GS, they're, they're buying the RX. Well, there, there's no reason for somebody under 70 to buy this car. <laughs> like, it's too it's bad because it's a nice car. And, and like you say, like it, it's, it feels solid. It drives well. Uh, the the six-speed transmission is a little hilarious to me right now because it's it, <laughs> not not that it's not good. Like it, I still like a four-speed, right, but, but it, it's, it, it's not competitive. It's a six-speed. Yeah. yeah. Right, exactly. Right. On, on so, a spreadsheet, on a numbers, you know. Right. I mean, there was, you know, again, it's, you know, this sort of soft, floaty, cruising kind of experience. And, you know, it's fifty eight thousand dollars. Fifty eight? Fifty eight. Five eight. That's not too bad. I mean, you spend that on a five series. But you're getting a five series. But the five series. okay. I mean, I haven't been in a five series in a while. So when you I, jump I from either, from a, a GS to a $58,000 five series, do they feel like they're at parity? Well, I haven't been in a five series in a while either, but I, I mean, I was recently in a, in an eight series, which is different. I realized, but the idea though, I mean, BMW would never put out a car that didn't have some kind of emotional connection. Yeah, that's, that's I true. mean, that's the thing is that is the GS 350, I could have been in almost anything. And, you know, and when you're buying a luxury vehicle, some percentage of that purchase is because you want a certain experience and that and a certain specific experience or else you just would buy anything. And so that's part of my that's part of of my disappointment with the car. It's not a bad car. Lexus would never put out a bad car. It's just that it kind of. It does a disservice, I think, to the brand and to this, you know, I want it to be engaging. I want it to be beautiful Japanese luxury uh, and, and something that I'm that, you know, when I get when I when I get out of the car, I look back at it because I've just had a great driving experience. And that's not that's that's not what this car, unfortunately, gives you. Yeah. Is it's it, not a bad car. Is it, just, was it luxurious at least? Was it? You know, I, again, I mean, I look at that price point. I, I think $58,000 a lot because of what else you can get for that dollar figure, you know? And, yes. and, and again, I do, I will be the first one to admit that I bias towards German luxury anyway. So I, I'm, that's out there. Um, but <laughs> again, I just feel like it was, a little on the nondescript side, a little bit like I wanted it to be, I wanted to be engaging and it wasn't, it was fine. It was fine. It's, it's not fine, the worst. Right. That's the worst. Well, I, it makes me wonder though, because I think, um, 
this is the traditional knock on Lexus. And in, in the more recent years, they've, they've evolved a bit where they have put some passion and some, uh, some of that driving experience into their cars. But in, in the past, especially when the LS, you know, the first couple decades of the LS, it was, yeah, it's, it's a dispassionate driving experience, but what you get is it's, it's smooth. All the rough edges are sanded off. It's, it's refined. It's the disconnection is the experience. And, and so I can see if you are a fan of like Audi or BMW, the driving is part of the experience for those cars. And, and the Lexus is, is more, it had traditionally been like, we want you to not worry about that stuff. Just, this is a nice place to sit. Well, and and absolutely. And that's the thing is that, and and you're right. That's part of the Lexus experience in some ways. I mean, maybe that is the Lexus experience. I think about luxury as having a personal and engaging experience. If you don't define luxury like that, then you're going to be totally happy in this. See, maybe, maybe we're just not Lexus buyers. Maybe we're just, but I mean, I get, I get the mindset, you know, I mean, I, people certainly, most of the Lexus buyers that I see are older people. So especially in a sedan, you know, it, that's, it's just, it's the way it is, but it's something that they have to be very, very aware of or else they're going to end up like, like a Cadillac or a Lincoln where your, you know, your buyer is you've, you've, you've aged out of the market. So, and the technology, you know, the engine technology and their fit and finish is too good to let that happen. Like that's, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, I, I just, I'd love to see a sportier and a really sportier version of this car. You know, it was very quiet. It was very cocoon like all those things are good. Um, and, and that is what people look for in this vehicle. So in that, in that instance, it's, it does its job. And, you know, granted, Lexus, you know, has moved in that direction of creating a more engaging experience. Certainly the LC and the the new LS, you know, live up to that, the RC, um, you know, the GS, you know, among their cars, you know, the GS is the oldest one that they have. And I, I think that they, I don't know if they've said outright that there won't be a replacement for the current GS, but that certainly seems to be the indication is that there won't be a direct replacement for, for the GS in their lineup. Uh, you know, and you know, it'll, it's probably, you know, going to last, you know, if, if this isn't its last year, next year probably will be, I was just looking at the sales numbers, 2019, uh, they, they sold a, a grand total of 3,378 GSs in the U S uh, which was down 49, 49% from 2018. Wow. Uh, so even 2018 wasn't good, huh? That's geez. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's, it's been on the decline. Um, you know, even the, even the RC, you know, which is a coupe, a smaller coupe, you know, which is obviously more of a niche product, you know, sold 4,600 units last year and it was (laughs) up 37% last year. So, you know, the, the only the only one that sells less is the LC, but, you know, that's a much more expensive car than this. Uh, well, and yeah, I actually and had that. Yeah, yeah, I had the LC a number of weeks ago as well. And that was all sorts of fun. That yeah. was all sorts of a good time. So, you know, I th- and as you say, if, if the Lexus, if the GS350 is going away, God rest its soul. God rest its soul. It doesn't have any. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Well, good. Uh, before we jump to hybrids, let's see. We just, uh, let me see. We did the Altima, the GS350, everything else except for what I've got right now in the driveway is a hybrid. So I'll just jump to that. Uh, so I have, for the last week or so, I've had the, uh, the Chevy Silverado Trail Boss, um, nice. which is another way you could burn 50 something thousand dollars. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's about $55,000. Um, it's, it's a nice, truck you know so it it almost feels like uh with pickups brands get assigned at birth right uh people are either ram ram truck people or ford truck people or you know gm truck people or the weirdos that go for the tundra uh (laughs) but you do well to to look around because there aren't really any bad trucks and across the board the frames are rigid the powertrains are robust the manners are really good um, for, I don't know, 50 years, there's been that, that sort of North star of a pickup that's easy to handle as easy to handle as a sedan. And, and I think that's definitely been realized, uh, with this, this current crop of trucks, you know, they're, they're, they're all really, really good. The Rams are known for their cushy interior. Uh, the Ford gets known pretty well for their eco boost performance and the aluminum body is a thing. Um, so it almost feels to me like General Motors has been hiding in, in a bit of obscurity for the last couple of generations of their trucks. They've been a little bit more on the conservative side, uh, evolutionary, still good. Uh, but the last sort of big, splashy GM truck uh, just from introduction I can remember is the GMT 900s when uh, they they that had to be back in, what, 2008, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, yeah, right around there. Yeah, so that was a big shift, and they were still pretty conservative. And then they've they've tweaked the formula. Um, these trucks were the Silverado was updated not too long ago. I want to say 2016, uh, 15 or 16, something. The like current that. generation. Uh, well, the current generation you... was just inter- just oh, introduced, right? Yeah. Okay. Like. Uh, yeah, in 2019. Yeah, um, but before that, it was I think it. it 2016 15 or 16 so that's actually short to me um normally they get a little bit more out of the trucks before they refresh um but i I think there were some problems with that that earlier generation of silverado it just didn't connect even though it was you know relatively lightweight without having to do fancy stuff like aluminum bodies um it was uh quiet It, it it behaved well but it just didn't seem to to capture everybody's imagination uh, quite as well. And maybe that's just my impression of it. Um, but it, it, this, this round, they've gotten a little bit bolder with the styling, which is the first thing I really latched onto with the, the trail boss is just, it, it's great looking. And I know the trail boss package helps cause it has, uh, blacked out wheels and some, you know, blacked out door handles and mirrors and a, a fascia that's a little different. So it, it just really, it looks good. Um, I think it's cool that they have a name like Trail Boss, like the, the stuff in the 70s. <laughs> it's just like cool stickers on the bedside. Um, uh, these are things that I will latch on to. Uh, but it's it's a nice truck. And it, this is a four-door. This is a, it's the, the crew cab with the, I think it's the five and a half foot bed. So it's the total weekend warrior package, four-wheel drive. It's got the um, all-terrain tires on it, which affect the way it drives a little bit. Uh, 5.3 liter uh, engine. It's, that's the LT now, right? The LT. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the code is for that one, but yeah, it's it's an LT. 
It was amusing to me because my my twelve uh, year old wanted to he wanted to look at the engine, so we popped the hood, and he goes, "That's small." And so I was like, "Well, listen, <laughs> it's physically tiny, but think of it as a collection of you know." And I was explaining to him like we have in the cabinet we have glasses, right? We have the tall glasses, the short glasses, and then the juice glasses. And I was like, "That's what the size is, not the physical size." So I'm explaining displacement to him, and I don't I don't think he got it, but. <laughs> using glasses well yeah because That's each cylinder is like hilarious. you know it's it's a glass uh, i was trying to figure out something that he'd um he'd understand uh if you ever want to try that with your liquor cabinet then i'll, I'll be in on that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a shot glass right. <laughs> this is a dram uh yeah uh <laughs> he's a little young for that yet um but it's it, you know and the 5.3 is is it's one of those v8s that uh on paper, right? Its numbers are they're they're getting encroached upon by the turbo V6s on on the, the lower end, but it just works really really seamlessly with the ten speed automatic. Um, in inside, uh, interior wise, I think it's it's definitely competitive. Uh, it's hard to talk about how these these trucks in in terms of outfitting compare without having them right there. Other than to say, Ram probably still feels the nicest because. They just they're killing it. Um, the Fords, to me, in my opinion, feel actually the cheapest. I, I just for whatever reason, the, the amount of seams, the plastics, the just the way they're put together. I I don't feel that they tend to uh, tend to present like they're they're that that price, at least uh, the, the the Silverado interior feels feels nice. The stuff that you, you know, it looks nice. Um, the stuff that you're in contact with is, is, is generally seems high quality. Um, and it's a, it's a truck. It's not a, not a luxury car kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's priced like one. I know, I know. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's, but you know, there's, there's a lot of really, there's, there's thought put into it. Um, you know, the, the controls and, and switches and, and stuff are easy to find, easy to operate. They make sense. Um, I did like in the back row, there's a little pull tab, uh, in the middle of the cushion for the, the rear seats. And there's a little storage cubby in there. Yeah. There, there, there's some really nice details like that, that GM put in those trucks. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's got, um, I think it's got wireless CarPlay, which is nice. Uh, it's got plenty of, of, of room and storage and, and good comfort. Um, and just, you know, so overall it's a, it's a solid effort in the the sort of truck and uh truck landscape even the infotainment is is pretty good um it's not the top of the class but it, it doesn't make you want to punch it so <laughs> that's a win um the uh the thing i like the best about the the gm trucks and i think these are probably my my sort of favorite pickups is they do feel light on their feet um they they have they have i don't know if it's like almost they say like they have a bit of corvette in them like the brake pedal is just solid they handle tidy they ride with discipline uh they don't beat you up it's even with the the special off-road tires that are like 41 psi uh you know so it wanders a little bit on the highway because of the, the tread will squirm and, and stuff um the non-trail boss trucks probably track like like an arrow um it's just you sit even a little lower in it whereas some of the other trucks you, you just kind of sit on them you you you're a little bit lower seating position. So it almost feels a little bit more car like in the, the Silverado. So I just, overall, it's a really pleasant environment. And, um, apparently I'm a GM truck guy. <laughs> so, uh, I like to, and it's been really, really handy to have around here. 
over the last uh, week or so because the the weather is just broken and it's uh, springtime. So I used it like a tractor to drag out bunch of stuff and that's that's been fun so it, i will say in a <laughs> suburban backyard on a quarter acre lot it'll crawl around the flat <laughs> flat grass on in four low so you don't chew it up no problem <laughs> so if i eventually get this truck i should look for scratch marks underneath what you're there saying. are no i'm not i, I did use it hey, to crush you know what? A, a tree there, stump. there should be i mean if, if if a truck doesn't have some scratch marks on the frame it hasn't been used. It, it's, you know, it, the the owner shouldn't be driving a truck, it, you know, and it's gone to the transfer station three or four times. And it's been uh, it's really, really it's it's off road ride. There is is nice, you know, That's awesome. <laughs> um, and they even paid they paid me five bucks for some metal fence. I didn't realize I was going to get paid for it. I thought that was great. Look at that. Like, yeah, go. we pay for metal. It's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Should, should have dropped the Crown Victoria off there. Uh, <laughs> um but not like four bucks yeah <laughs> the, the silver, so in the truck wars it's hard to it's it, like you you just define your allegiance and from an objective perspective i think the the, the the gm trucks they've restyled them they they've done a few things that make them i think better contenders for people who are are able to be swayed um the, you know, because the diehards are always going to stay there anyway. And I, I think those changes have been for the better. I, I, I really do like the way it looks. Uh, I, I like the way it behaves. And and I think price-wise, 55K for a somewhat uprated truck, like that's expensive, but it's not it's not Raptor expensive, right? It's not uh, – I mean, what's the, the... – that's, that's actually, you know, like around $50,000 is average transaction price for a new full-size truck now. Right. It has been for the last year or two. Right. And I, so, so I think it's the LT with the Z71. So it's got Rancho shocks and stuff. It's a, yeah. like if you're, if their average price is about 50 grand and you're spending about 5k more, that, that's not bad, right? Like that's, you get a little bit of extra for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, what, I'm curious, what kind of fuel economy did you get out of it? Uh, well, it spent a lot of time idling um, in the, while I was and and you know, pulling, so it was okay. not the most efficient. But it it's it's in the teens. I'd say it's about eighteen right now. But on the drive, oh, back, you got that much? Yeah, um, it, that's average. Uh, on the drive back, it was all highway when I I went to pick it up, um, and I think it got about nineteen, nineteen and a half um, on the highway. So, because when I when I had a Trail Boss a couple of years ago, um, I think I got like fourteen with it, <laughs> and uh, I wasn't really doing much work with it. I mean, it was you know yeah. winter time. I think when I had it, if I if I recall, but still, you know, it it was it was not particularly impressive. Although I think the one I had had the six point two liter, not the five three. Yeah, um, oh, I love that six point two liter, but yeah, you pay for it. That's uh, oh yeah. Um, and the five, three is surprisingly, you know, it's, it's just really, it's, it's smooth. It's punchy. It's, it's a good engine. Uh, I think that if you're towing a lot, you, you really do owe it to yourself to look at the, the, the turbo stuff or the diesels, the light duty diesels now. Um, but as an all around engine, I don't really think you give up anything, uh, by going with the, the, the 5.3 with the V8, uh, versus one of the V6 options in the, in the other trucks. Um, I, I just, I think that it's it's just right in that sweet spot. You know, it has has the torque delivery. It it, it it's pretty aggressive about auto stopping. So they're doing as much as they can to make it efficient. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, you know, one of the unique features that the the GM trucks have them have on them now that 
uh, when they launched those, these were the first vehicles, the, the, both of the 5.3 and the 6.2 are the first engines to have uh, what they call dynamic skip fire. It's a technology that was developed by a, a California company called uh, Tulio. No, I can't remember now. Um, but, it, you know, they've had GM, you know, has, has had cylinder deactivation for a long time, but it was just, you know, they would shut off four cylinders when it was under light load and run four cylinders or eight cylinders. Um, now uh, it can actually shut off up to seven cylinders and it alternates them around. And so I'm curious if you ever noticed, if you're ever able to notice when it was running on less than eight cylinders. Nope. Smooth okay. as silk. Like the, yeah. then with the MDS, you definitely notice when it would, it would drop to four cylinders and it was, it was yeah. still pretty good, but you'd, you'd hear the exhaust note change. You'd feel it uh, even just slightly. I, I, I wouldn't have even known that it was doing anything. It's just that smooth. So that's impressive. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool piece of technology. I've, I've actually um, driven it on uh, on a prototype uh, from Delphi because Tula is the name of the company. They, they uh, And Delphi worked with them to commercialize it. Um, Delphi had some prototypes of uh, four-cylinder engines. So, uh, they had a couple of VW Passats that had this on there. And, you know, a four-cylinder engine that was dropping down to one cylinder, like you didn't even notice it. Yeah, it that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a good truck. If I had it a spare 55K, um, I might consider it. I it, I love having pickups in the spring. It's great. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, spring and summertime is <laughs> best time to have have a pickup. Yeah. Um, it, it, and, you know, to your comments on the F-150, you know, um, you know the, the F-150 now – at least among the, the domestic trucks is the oldest. And uh, they're uh, just this week Ford announced that on June 25th, they're going to finally unveil the new 2021 model, uh, which doesn't look dramatically different. I've, I've seen them driving around here, you know, prototypes driving around here for months. Um, but uh, the interior is significantly upgraded. And, and this is also going to be the first one that gets a hybrid and various other uh, new updates as well. Yeah. I, you there is no there is no shortage of choice in the, yeah. in the truck market and they're all good in their own way and and ford certainly with the f-series they they, they are on their game um yep. f- features and and capability wise so uh yeah i i registered for that uh, <laughs> some <laughs> that reveal because that's that's going to be the thing i can ding it now for sort of having an out-of-date interior but i expect that to change um Maybe they'll bring a little Lincoln to it. You know, <laughs> there's no, there's no Blackwood. So uh, they can, they can make a fancy one. Cause that's the thing. Even the, <laughs> the high trim F series doesn't it, materials and color and, you know, just trims and whatever. It just doesn't feel as nice as the higher trim, you know, other, other, especially the Ram. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Ram is kind of, that's a special one. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, well, they just, think, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and so much of the market was caught off guard by the Ram. You know, that, I mean, they really, they just went bold and forward and all of a sudden it was like, I mean, cause they, you know, they were in third position for so long and they just, it, it was, it's impressive what they've done with that vehicle. Yeah, and they, again, everyone kind of got left in the dust with it. So one of the things that this week I talked to Jeff Gilbert um, at WWJ about was actually how low the inventory is on pickup trucks. And this could actually be a little bit of a disruption if people need to buy a truck right away and the one they want with the specifications that they need are not on the lot 
could we see them going to a different brand for the first, you know, first time? Because obviously truck, you know, pickup truck loyalty is notoriously high. And so it'll be interesting to see if there's disruption in those loyalty numbers over the next few months as inventory, you know, uh, is very low. GM is up in production on these vehicles. So it'll be something to keep an eye on, I think. Have you seen any inventory numbers on the the different brands? Like who who's got the lowest inventory? No, I just I've just read that GM was very concerned about how low their inventory was at at the dealer level. Okay, I I, I think you're right though. I think uh, especially you know, there's that consumer level that it's a more of an emotional attachment. You may see those people sort of more easily moved with a a fleet buyer. Like if you're buying a municipal fleet or you know. You, you need to to add 10 pickups to your, your whatever. Um, I wonder if it's going to be more of a challenge because a lot of times with a fleet, you commit to a brand so that you can, you know, make sure your, your service operation can, you have a stock of spare parts, right. you know, and you don't, you don't want to switch from one to another. Right. Cause so you got to um, stock two items. Like they're all the same, yeah, right. you know, and you can, you can sort of peg the cost, even if you're having somebody else service them, it's, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I wonder what it's going to do for prices too, with, with um, de- demand yeah. still being high uh, or at some point demand's going to come, come roaring back. Um, and if inventory is low. By at least 2023 or 2024. <laughs> <laughs> actually com- the commercial sector is actually where we're going to see demand where, where demand is going to get hit the least compared to everything else. I think just, you know, because of, you know, especially, you know, for trucks and for uh, vans, you know, car- like cargo vans, you know, a lot of those, um, you know, still going to be a lot of demand for that stuff, you know, especially as people are more reliant on deliveries going forward. Right, exactly. So it'll be very, very interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about hybrids. All right. Um, so, Rebecca, we'll circle back to you because you you had mentioned that you had the CRV hybrid and it made a lot of noise. It did. <laughs> so, yeah, so I had, this is the first uh, hybrid offered in the CRV, which was a great addition to an already really good product. I mean, the CRV is just, you know, it's very stalwart. It kind of, it's again, not, not going to be the most exciting vehicle you've ever driven, but it's not intended to be. Um, I love the size of this. It's, it just holds a lot of stuff. I'll post some pictures. I went to Home Depot with it because of this time and it's actually nice out and, you know, stuffed a ton of, of uh, materials in the back and you know soils and all sorts of good stuff that I had to buy I but you know overall the experience was excellent except for this just as soon as you turn the car on it's actually not bad obviously obviously it's very quiet because the hybrid engine the hybrid motor is on but that motor makes this humming noise and not a pretty like like you want to listen to it, you know, as if, you know, Mariah Carey is humming at you. This is like, <laughs> what's that like to have Mariah Carey humming at you? <laughs> so, this is, so, so I had, I had been at my sister's house and swapped out the car there. And my sister and her husband decided to go for a walk. And I actually passed them. Like I stopped when I saw, I, you know, came upon them, stopped. And my brother-in-law's looking and he's looking and, he never pays attention to what my sister and I talk about anyway, but all of a sudden he interrupts us and is like, what is that noise? That's how loud it was. Whereas, you know, as I'm sitting there and I actually made a videotape, I, I, I taped it before they, they picked it, the car up because 
I'm hoping that you can hear it in my little tape, tape that I did, but it's, you know, everybody that was around that vehicle commented on it. So again, like I had the, and the, the car was on and my neighbor stopped by and he's like, what is that noise? Is it noticeable from outside as well? It's, a, it's, a no, it's noticeable from the outside. Wow. It's, the, it's the motor, it's, it's the hybrid motor, but it just, and it, it just doesn't go away. Is it like and high pitched or like? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's high, it's clearly a motor sound, you know? And it's just, you know, my, Jake said, he goes, how did they let the car out like this? <laughs> like that, you know, that's, <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, which is unfortunate because a lot of the rest of it was a very good experience. You know, the, so the, the, the high, the estimated mileage is 35 highway, 40 city, 38 combined. I would say I got slightly less than that, but I also, I drove it pretty aggressively as I normally drive every car aggressively. And I had to laugh because it has one of those little, like, you know, kind of like the leaf thing where it has the, the measurement, like five, five clovers or whatever. I never got more than one. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't do so well on the hypermiling kind you of missed, thing, but you must have driven it angry. I, I must have done, but you know, it was, it was good. Otherwise I liked having the idea of a hybrid around town. You know, I think it's a perfect car for, for, for around town. It's not great on the highway in terms of it has pretty good acceleration. Um, but you know, you really benefit from it if you're going to be driving a vehicle, running errands and doing a lot of stopping and starting and, and, you know, going back and forth, dropping off kids, pets, things like that, going to the grocery store, running errands, all that kind of stuff, like the day to day. I think it's a great vehicle for that. I just, this, the sound was, was really disappointing um, because it was distracting. There was a lot of road noise. Um, and, and I wish I also, and I ran into this with the, the Toyota RAV4 and the, um, and I think the Highlander as well, there's a tinniness to the doors. Like there's not a nice kind of thunk to the doors that a lot of other products have. And again, like we keep going back to brands like Hyundai, um, but Mazda has this as well. You shut the door and it's a nice, satisfying sound. These, I, I have found that Toyota and Honda there is a tinniness to these doors that is just, I don't know. It's just, again, it's kind of disappointing. Like, like, I, like I described another vehicle, but so this one, this one goes for 37,000 delivered. Uh, and it, the base, I have the touring. So it was the upper trim 35,950, uh, really fully loaded. I mean, it had, it had everything you could ever want in the vehicle and overall was just, you know, it was a good, it was, it was a good hybrid experience. It was just marred by this sound, this noise of the, of the engine, of the, mo the motorized engine. That's, that's kind of surprising because, uh, you know, I've driven the, um, the Accord hybrid previously, which has yes. the exact same powertrain in it. It's the same engine, the same hybrid drive system. Yeah. And I did not notice that in there. So I'm wondering, you know, if they have less sound insulation or, or maybe there was just something wrong with that particular unit that you had I, but i get that a lot though like why is that but i i drove the hybrid as well the, the accord hybrid as well and i don't remember having this and you know i i ran you know what the, the the one that i ran into the same issue um was the mitsubishi uh what is that the hybrid that oh, they the have? outlander, the outlander. Yeah. yes yeah. 
I ran into that same loud motorized <clears throat> noise. I just was surprised with this. And again, hopefully, um, Dan, I'll send you the video and maybe you can up the, the volume on it. I'm hoping that you guys can hear it. And, and the fact that other people commented on it, you know, again, my, my brother-in-law, my nephew, uh, my, my neighbor, it's the kind of thing that people like kind of turn around. And they're like, what is, is that your car? That's what people, somebody asked me, is that your car? I'm like, yes, that's the noise that my hybrid. Car huh. Yeah. I, um, I'll be curious to see the video because my expectation is that it, it's probably like the, the wine from um, the, the inverter electronics and stuff that just there's no way to actually make that go away because mm. when you put that amount of, of electrical energy through the, the even the, the sh- just the chips that are in there, it, it, they sing. <laughs> they, they, you know, yeah, they oscillate, they right. vibrate. Yeah. And so it depends, I guess, um, maybe in the CRV how it's, how it's mounted, where that hardware is versus in the Accord. Uh, so maybe it's just it's it's just harder to hide the noise or something. But I, yeah, I, don't know. I, I mean, I, I do think that the Accord also has more sound insulation yeah. in it. I mean, I don't re- again, like I don't remember on the Accord when you shut the door, you don't get this tinny sound like you do in with the with the CRV, and it's it's again it's noticeable. I, and you know, when I was, I looked at the powertrain, I had the hood up, it had one of those, it was so funny because I went to put the hood up and I'm expecting the, the, um, the pressure things to engage, you know, and keep the hood up and it yep. starts falling. I was like, oh my gosh, because it has this stick. <laughs> <That's a prop laughs> <rod. Yeah. laughs> happened. But I noticed that there was no insulation in the lower half of the, um, of the hood. Top. The hood. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and again, I feel like in the doors, I just want a little bit of a layer, just one, just one layer. And I know, Sam, you're like, that adds weight, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But compensate for it. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it, it's, it's, it is surprising. And, um, you know, one thing that manufacturers have done, you know, to try to overcome some of that noise, um, you know, over the years is adding active noise cancellation. Uh, yes. to, especially, especially for hybrid vehicles, uh, and, and, you know, various electrified vehicles, because, you know, when, especially when the engine shuts off, they suddenly become much quieter, you know, than and, you know, one of the things that you, you know, that manufacturers don't want to do is they don't want to have this sudden change in the environment mm. for the, the, the vehicle occupants. And so using active noise cancellation, you know, especially when the engine's running, you can, get rid of some of that, especially the low end boominess uh, from the engine so that that transition when the engine cycles on and off becomes less noticeable. Uh, and perhaps, you know, maybe part of the problem is maybe the, maybe the active noise cancellation wasn't working correctly on this. Cause I'm pretty sure it does have it. Um, you know, so maybe that was, was faulty on this vehicle. Yeah, maybe I didn't think about that. Yeah. I mean, cause they certainly have access to that. They have that technology within Honda and Acura Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and they, just, they have, they have it on the insight and on the accord. So. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, and both, that would definitely make a difference. It. it would yeah. definitely make a difference, but you know, again, overall, I, I think it's, is it, is it a barrier to purchase? I don't think so. Especially if you are, if your main concern is fuel economy, you know, I think that it meets, it certainly checks that box in, 
you know, for sure. Like if that's what your main concern is, and there's a lot of other good things about it as well. I mean, you're, you know, you're not compromising your entire experience to get 38 miles per gallon. But I do think that it is something that I would want our listeners to pay attention to if they test drive the hybrid version and compare it to the non-hybrid version as well and see what that experience, see what the difference is in experience. But um, I'll be curious. I'm hoping one of you guys get a chance to drive it again or drive it um, as well, because I would like to get your experience in this. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I have really good hearing. Maybe it was one of those weird things. Yeah. Women do tend to have better high frequency hearing than uh, we do. We do for for children. Um, yeah, uh, the <laughs> I was curious how you felt the the acceleration was only sort of okay, like, like just like tepidly fine, because uh, you know Honda's touting the CRV hybrid as the most powerful CRV, and I, I'm sure it is total. Yeah, total no, power. it 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 was it was good. It was it was it was absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it handled, you know, I I took it on the parkway, which is very hilly and it was completely fine on the parkway. I didn't have any issues with it. Um, I mean, again, the overall experience was positive with this vehicle. So I didn't feel like I was compromised or hampered at all because it had the hybrid engine. I mean, it still has a 2.0 liter VTEC engine in it, you know, so it still has plenty of, of power. I, uh, but I, uh, you know, so, so I don't want to mislead people and think that, that it was underpowered by, by any means. It's not, it's not, it, it was very good from that standpoint. I, I think that's the sort of the best, um, I don't, I don't know if endorsement's the right word, but it, it's just a, it's like a signpost of how far we've come with this, where it's just, yeah, okay. It's got the hybrid. You don't give up anything else. There's no no batteries in the way of cargo. Um, no no real weirdness and, and stuff. Yeah, so no, that's, absolutely. That's I I loved that about it. You know, if I think it's a very it's a it's a vehicle with a lot of livability and a lot of livability appeal. It's easy to get in and out of. Again, the the fold flat seats were great. Uh, the interior was very nice. You know, it had a nice level of fit and finish. I wasn't crazy about. They had this sort of weird faux wood metal situation it was almost like a coppery in the sunlight it almost turned a coppery feel and it was like it it felt very odd well it's (laughs) copper to evoke the copper and the motor windings yeah there you go It was it was kind of the only the only sort of weird thing in the interior, but otherwise, you know, I thought it was it was lovely. I, I actually didn't mind the um, the gear selector was an easy to use. All of the ergonomics of it were totally fine. Like I didn't have any issues with it, and not bad fine. Like 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 good fine. Good fine. <laughs> like, not not fine. fine. Like fine. fine. Like- it was, you know, it's, I always enjoy the types of vehicles where you get in, uh, my phone hooked seamlessly, which was nice. It had, um, it had a handy, uh, uh, charging pad that actually worked really well. I, uh, and again, there was a lot of, it, it's just, it's an easy car to get to know. So it's familiar. That That's the other thing too, that was nice about it was that it was a familiar vehicle as soon as I got in it. And I was like, oh yeah, this is the CRV. It's very sleek, you know. It has a modern look to it. Um, there's a lot of good things about it. 
the noise was my only was is is my only deterrent on an uh, on what I would consider is an otherwise really really good experience. I, again, you know, the I bitch a lot about infotainment systems, but I, I wasn't crazy about it. There's a weird like like the voice commands are it, it they go through this. You have to it's a it's a multiple step. Like I, I it's, it's very much an older style voice recognition system, right? Uh, like I had to say like address, and then I had to say like I, I and and also just to change. Oh oh, the other thing. Uh-oh. The tuning of the radio. There is a volume <laughs> button and there is not a tuning the, button. Yeah, this, Why this is, this is difficult. Th- this is this is the the infotainment system in here is Honda's previous generation system <sighs> with uh, you know it's the same system that we have in our Civic but that uh you know they they added a tuning or a, a volume knob to it which I was at the reveal of this a couple of years ago or, you know, 2017 when they revealed it here in Detroit and, you know, they announced and it has a volume knob and everybody cheered, you know, which was hysterical <laughs> because they finally went, because they had, you know, had this touch control for the, the volume before that. Well, um, yeah, it was the touch control and, on the screen. And they also had the touch control on the, um, the steering wheel spokes. If you yeah. swiped it wrong, you'd like crank up the audio. Yes, <laughs> right. right. So, um, you know, since since this uh, system came out, you know, they've got a newer generation, and it does have better voice control. It's still not great, but it has better voice control. And it, the newer stuff like the Accord and the uh, Odyssey and and everything newer that's come out uh, in the last couple of years does have a separate um, vo- uh, tuning knob as well. Oh, well so yeah. they've they've learned they've learned the lesson and gone back to the knobs for that. I mean, and I get that they'll tell me that, well, you know, you program in your favorites and I get all that, but there are just some days that you just want to turn the channel. You just want to turn that knob. I hear you. Uh, You know, so I think that, that again, it was very, very clunky. Um, But, you know, and, and I also, and to Dan's point, I also like the fact that it just looks normal. There's a small badge that says hybrid on it. Otherwise, it it nobody. If you walk by it, you're not going to realize that it's a hybrid. And I like that. I like the normalcy of it. It's it's a it's a really nice CRV that happens to be a hybrid. So, you know, again, I think I would I would love to get other people's opinions on whether that the high pitched whine is an issue for them. I, if it was just me that had noticed it, I would just say it's just me. But the fact that other people and multiple people in different environments, and uh, the fact that other people commented on it, I thought was, yeah. you know, was interesting. And also, oh my gosh, I had it in a parking garage. Uh, we went into the storage unit and I had it in the parking garage. It was so loud echoing off of that. The hybrid people, noise? The hybrid, the hybrid noise. Again, people turning around being like, what is that noise? Because there's no engine on. So yeah. oh, here's a question though. It's very amplified then. Is it the is it one of those sort of noises that they need to add to hybrids so that I, when it's running? I don't I don't think this don't one think has so. that. Because oh, okay. um, yeah. most most hybrids don't really have much of that. And I don't know. I'll have I'll have to get uh, I'll have to call uh, send it out to Robin and see if she can get me into one of these soon. Um to you know, to find out, you know, to compare it against your experience and see if it's any different, you know, see if it's a, if it was a one-off issue with the vehicle you were driving or if this is standard on the, uh, 
on the CRV. Yeah, I'd love to get your 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 take on it as well. Yeah. I'll I'll take one if they want to send one. <laughs> um, so all right, let's, let's stick with hybrids. Uh, Sam, you had the um, the Camry hybrid. Yeah, so I went from the that Altima right into the Camry hybrid, and um, you know it's it's a Toyota hybrid, which is you know that's nothing wrong with that. You know it's good. It's the two point. It's the same combination that they're putting into a whole bunch of stuff now. You know. Uh, they started with the Camry, it's in the Highlander, it's in the new Sienna and uh, Venza that we talked about last time. Um, you know, so 2.5 liter four-cylinder hybrid, um, you know, smooth, quiet, no funky noises. Um, you know, you know everything else about this is, you know, standard Camry, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary at all. Um, you know, and for, for, for good or ill, and really the only you know, not so great thing about it is, you know, just the the uh, Toyota Entune interface is not great, but we've complained about that before and we don't really need to rehash that. But, you know, especially compared to that Altima, you know, the interior did feel so much nicer, you know, maybe not quite up to the same standard as the Sonata, um, which I think is really the new standard of the class, but, you know, definitely, you know, a big step up from the, from the Nissan. Uh, you know, everything was, you know, all the seams were, were nicely aligned and, you know, um, where you've got, you know, chain, you know, seams were uh, hidden, nothing, nothing that looked cheap, you know, or, you know, cost reduced, you know, it all looked really nice, which, you know, again, for roughly the same price as that Altima, you know, it was about $39,000. You know, it's, it's what you expect at that price point. And, you know, this was, you know, the, whatever, whatever their, their top, trim level, you know, platinum, I it's think. XLE. Or oh, XLE. Yeah. It was an XLE. Um, yeah. There is hybrid XLE. But that's been, uh, that's been an issue with the, the Camry too. Like we've talked about Toyota interiors too. So they've, they've managed to figure it out. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, you know, the current generation Camry is, you know, much better than in the past. And, you know, I think, you know, I, I would still, you know, right now I, I'd say, you know, the, the, the two in the, you know, mainstream car segment, you know, the two, best brands for the interiors are Hyundai and Mazda, you know, and, and we've, we've, you know, raved about Mazda for this, you know, for, for years and, you know, Hyundai is really great now too. And this is, you know, very close to that standard, you know, so I, I think there's, everything's really good about this car and it's, it's decently fun to drive too. Uh, you know, unlike, you know, wait, Priuses wait, 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 of the past. A Camry hybrid yeah. is fun to drive. The, you know, the powertrain is, <clears throat> excuse me, not necessarily what I would call exciting or engaging, but it has more than adequate performance, you know, for, for a car this size. Uh, and you know, it, you know, it's the same output as what you get in the Highlander. So, you know, it's going, you know, in a, in a significantly not too bad, lighter, lighter, lighter vehicle. Lighter vehicle. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, I think it, I think it's really good, you know, and the, the, the chassis, you know, of the current generation uh, Camry is, is really good. Rebecca. I have a question. Yes. So if you had a choice, would you take the Camry or the Accord? Ooh. I would probably opt for the Accord. Um, you know, I, I like the Accord a lot too. Um, so I would, I mean, that would probably be my preference. I, you know, I kind of, you know, I know that it's not necessarily a universal thing, but I kind of like the way the Accord looks better. Mm. I, I like the the design of that one better, but you know, this is a little more 
conventional, but you know, compared to previous generations of Camry, uh, it's you know a, a little you know it's better styled than previous generations. But I, I kind of like the you know the the Accord you know that the shape of that you know is a little more unconventional without being weird, right. at least to my eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I like I like the Accord a lot, but you know, I I wouldn't you know. I, this this one does not repel me as as some past Toyota hybrids <laughs> awesome. have. Yeah. I actually I really like the Accord a lot. Yeah. I just I had I, I really enjoyed driving it. I liked there was there was just a lot to like about it. The the Camry's good, but I really I don't know there was something very appealing to me about the Accord. Dan, no, what I, about you? I, I agree. I so you know I don't know um, the Accord. I think for me styling wise uh, is uh, again. Like I prefer it, um, but functionally, the Camry is really well thought out. You know, what's the trunk opening like? What's the mm. what's the interior like? I think the Accord probably has a better feeling interior, but I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, what's the infotainment like? They're you know like Honda. They're both like sort of their own brand of sucking, right? Honda <laughs> infotainment's not great. Toyota <laughs> infotainment's also not great. Um, so I guess it's it's sort of like what you put up with, and and now with. The phone projection is not such a huge deal, but um, I don't know because the the gap between uh, behavior isn't as wide as it used to be. That that Camry, the the TNGA platform is really pleasant to drive. Um, I think back to back, the Accord's still going to feel way better. Um, a, a, you know, a little yeah. bit more sporty. It's going to have actual yeah. steering feel and stuff, but I. I don't know. That's kind of a kind of a toss up. I guess uh, I'd have to see how they fit with um, everything I need from a car. And I probably would have to sacrifice driving enjoyment for functionality, uh, just given where I'm at. And that may tilt things towards the Camry. Okay. Thank you. You know, I'm at, you know, at a different stage in my life where I would, you know, my my choice would be to you know if I'm gonna have to choose between functionality and driving enjoyment, I would probably go for the driving enjoyment. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know, then again, you know, we you know we opted for you know when we went to buy a car, we opted for you know a slightly different balance, you know, which you know um, still has the driving enjoyment, but we you know because we got the Civic hatchback, you know, we also have the utility that you can't get in any of these sedans. So it's you know, it, it's, it all depends on your personal taste. You know, and, and that's the great thing about having choices. You know, you have a lot of options, you know, that, you know, there's always, there's almost always something that will fit your needs and, and your wants. Um, and, you know, the other, the other great thing, you know, as with all Toyota hybrids, this thing is remarkably fuel efficient. You know, the EPA rating is 46 miles per gallon combined. Um, and I got, uh, I think I, Averaged forty three over the week I had it. Wow, uh, which, that's you know, amazing. Compared to the twenty six, you know, with the <laughs> with the Altima, you know, is really wow. amazing. You know, and I I was not hypermiling this thing. I was just driving it the way you know normally the you know not being ridiculously aggressive and and not hypermiling, but just you know what I think is you know relatively average driving style, and you know it's it's great. So that's the, awesome. and no weird hybrid, no, no weird electrical noises. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and here's the, the last car that we can finish up with sort of throws a wrench in this comparison, this Accord versus Camry comparison. Uh, Cause I had the, the 2020 Sonata hybrid and 
that does all of the stuff that you, you just mentioned. You know, it's it it looks great. It drives well. It's very efficient. Uh, it feels really premium inside. It's very comfortable. There's no weirdness. Uh, and it's just, I feel like it's, it's priced really well. It's, it's a really, really competitive entry. And, uh, I, th I think that if you're shopping the other two, you need to look at the, the Sonata because it's, it's just, it really kind of raises the bar. I think, um, I'm very impressed with the, the Sonata and it starts with the styling, you know, just the outside we've seen it in pictures and, and some folks have said it looks kind of like it's got a fish face. Um, in person, it's, it's stunning. Uh, it just style wise, it just looks really, really good. And it's, so it starts, the impression starts there. Um, and, and it's interesting how just the, the way it's designed can make it look premium or not. You know, the Sonata, just the way they drew it <laughs> makes it look like a higher end car. Um, it, it's, it's really sharp and, and really, uh, really pretty. Um, and the, again, like the functionality wise, like, I think you do pay a little bit for that. The, the trunk lid, it, it's got a big trunk, but trying to figure out how stuff gets into that, that opening because it has this sort of sweeping roof line that everything has. Um, that's something to pay attention to, but on the inside, the, the cabin of the, the Sonata hybrid is, it almost feels like they, they took a Genesis uh, level of attention to detail to it because you know everything just feels good is uh in the right spots it's easy to use um at hyundai infotainment clobbers toyota and, and and honda uh systems it's it's very very friendly um and do the the two liter uh four cylinder and, and this is really smooth the uh the fuel economy i got i think it was mid forties. I forget what I got, but it was, it was very efficient <laughs> and, and you didn't really pay for it. You know, the, the, the structure feels really solid. Uh, it's quiet. It's smooth. I was just clearly super impressed with it. Um, and I, I think that if you're looking at the other two hybrids, you may wind up with this one just because it does so many things, uh, right. And in, in its own way, um, it, it was, uh, it's a very good car. Very, very impressive for the Sonata making that jump. Um, it's almost like the back in I don't know, 2006 when they made that, that first sort of jump to being competitive. Uh, 2009. It, yeah. Two, okay. 2009. Like it, it just all of a sudden it was a player and uh, they've continued to do that. They, they sort of, backed off a little bit and got a little bit more conservative. And, and this is Hyundai again, sort of staking more territory. Um, and, and I, I really, I really liked it. I think one of the things that, that makes it nice to drive too, is that instead of a CVT, the Hyundai hybrid system has a six speed automatic. So it feels a little more normal. Um, and, uh, that does make a difference from, from behind the wheel. Uh, I forget the price of mine, but it had to be high because it <laughs> had, mm -hmm had like the solar roof and I would think it was like limited trim or something it had, had lots of stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't have either of you tried the, the Sonata hybrid. I have one scheduled, uh, for mid June. So I'll yeah. be getting one in about three, four weeks, I think. Yeah. I'm definitely going to put it on the list. I was just looking too to see, because I think again, when we compare these things, I, I think the warranty is better 
on the Sonata as well, but you may, it, it will be interesting to see residual value though. You know, if that's, again, if that's a priority for you, yeah. you know, something to keep in mind uh, when choosing. But I mean, I think that that, I think Hyundai's done, done a really, really good job on that vehicle. And I, and certainly the non-hybrid version of it uh, was, was wonderful. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how the sales come out as people get to know this this version of the Sonata, that Super Bowl commercial they did with the parking, you know, was certainly memorable. Um, but this hybrid version, there's a lot of cool stuff in it, the solar panels and stuff. Like, yeah. there's some neat things with that. Well, and, and the the ADAS is really good, and yeah. uh, their their app where you can you know set up um, like preferences uh, through through Blue Link, and you can you can send uh, nav you know to the car and stuff. Like some of that is is not unique to to Hyundai, but it's in this car and it's, it's something that, that people will appreciate, I think. Um, and like you were talking about with the hybrid noise in the, the CRV, this is quiet. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's so interesting a nice place to be. Yeah. The, uh, just looking at the, the pricing, the hybrid, the Sonata hybrid limited starts at 35, three, and there's not a lot of options available. You know, I think probably it looks like if you, uh, all the available options, you'd, you'd still be uh, probably no more than about uh, 37, th- probably about 38 wow. with delivery. So cheap, cheaper than either of the, the sedans I drove. And neither of the ones you drove have the, the fancy trim strip that lights up. Oh yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that is so cool. It does look cool. It looks really neat. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny that, you know, they, um, you know, it, when, it, when the lights are off, you know, it looks like just a standard piece of chrome trim that runs up from the headlights along the edge of the, the hood. Um, but what it actually is, is the, the plastic has a, uh, a metallic coating on the underside. You know, it's kind of like a two-way mirror. Yeah. Uh, and so when you light it up from behind, you know, it looks, it lights up. And they did the same thing uh, last year at the LA Auto Show on the concept that uh, Hyundai revealed, which was, basically a preview of the next generation um, Tucson. They did that for the headlights. Uh, you know, so they had the same kind of thing, you know, in the grill, you had these, this, you know, the, uh, you know, this kind of diamond uh, pattern grill and the, uh, or on the, on the outside, on the outer edges of it, you know, you had some, some of these diamonds that had the, this uh, metallic coating on there. And then they turned the lights on and the lights just shine through. It just looks really neat. I don't think I don't think that'll be legal for the the headlights themselves, but for you know running lamps and signature lighting, it it, it works for that. Yeah, I was I was struck by how the styling differs between when you see it in pictures and in person. I got a real almost like a uh, a classic Oldsmobile feeling from it, right? Like the from so the the mid '60s Oldsmobiles are sort of like in my mind a benchmark for being a little bit up from your sort of basic car, they, they have a bit of flash to them, but they don't, you know, they're not, they're not like a Cadillac, right? Like I can't even stand the GM love you're giving this morning. It's, it's shorthand. It's I'm not, I'm I'm, I'm not like a, a, not like a GM person. It's just, uh, I really, I really did like Oldsmobile, but it it just, it gave me that impression. Like this is what you would, it's sort of like the modern, analog for it you know it's just it has a lot of 
expressiveness, a lot of uh, sort of just classic understate. It's not a gimmicky design, uh, but it it looks sharp and it's going to look sharp for a, a long time. Um, so that's, you know, I think it, I think I might have told you, Rebecca, like last week, it was like the Germans they bought are doing good work. Okay. Yeah, they, what, but the Germans have left. All not of them? all of them. No, not all of them. But Luke leaving was a huge. Yeah, that's I mean, that's he was true. a head designer. You yeah. know, Sanyip is wonderful, but he's Korean and it's a different mentality. I mean, obviously he's learned a lot. You know, they worked, they collaborated, the two of them in particular. But I, I don't know what went on with Luke. So that was a surprise. I don't and know, then they also, well, this was Genesis. Genesis lost this young, really hip designer uh, who always looked like he was going to a rock concert as opposed to a press event. Um, but he recently left as well. So it will be interesting to see yeah. uh, how they evolve from a design standpoint. Yeah. I mean, this, this car is, it's very thoughtfully drawn uh, mm-hmm. inside and out. It is. It's, it's just, it's, it's lovely. Um, so uh, yeah, we had a lot of cars. Yeah. So shall we tackle some news? Yeah. Let's talk about news. How about the TLX? Speaking of nice designs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, what did you guys think? Uh, I'll, I'll throw it out there before I. I, I love the it. Earth. You know, I, I, I think, I think that um, you know, it, it's you know, clearly when they showed the um, the S type concept last summer at Pebble Beach, you know, it was obviously a preview of this, and you know, this is a only very slightly toned down version of that concept, which is fairly typical of of Honda and Acura. They rarely produce you know really wild out there concepts you know the last time Acura did it was what four or five years ago with the the precision concept um which kind of set the stage for this new design language for Acura you know and then you know the S-type concept was clearly the preview of of this car uh you know the the proportions of of this new TLX are totally different from the existing one you know they've they've done that you know, like, like others are doing, you know, changing the dash to axle ratio in the front to make it look more like a rear drive car. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's much, um, a much more aggressive looking design than the previous generation TLX was. I think it's gorgeous. It's really cool. And, it, you know, think about what we talked about earlier with Lexus sort of, you know, not totally taking advantage of their racing heritage and their and their acumen but i mean this car looks the tlx especially the type s it looks fast it looks emotional it's i think it's it's spectacular i love the front end the grill is much smaller than a lot of other vehicles are doing these days for better or for worse like that's purely a preference the back i love those quad exhausts those are super cool I think it looks great. And, and you're absolutely right, Sam. The proportion of it is very, very different. The side view is is dramatically different. It definitely has rear-wheel drive proportions to it. It's really, really cool. Well, and it marks the return of um, the double wishbone suspension, mm. which was a, a Honda Acura thing for a very long time. And it was sort of part of their, their uh, secret sauce. Of, of just how it ha- handled and, and um, performed. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to see that come back. Like they're, they're drawing on heritage and uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to look at the, 
the uh, uh, TLX and, and, and see a bad looking car. Uh, <laughs> it really well, does. It, it's yeah, a really, it's really nice design. Yeah. And, and I think this, you know, this personifies, you know, what uh, last year at the Detroit Grand Prix at dinner, I was sitting with John Akeda, who's the, the head of Acura. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, what, what is Acura, what is the Acura brand? Because so, for so long, you know, it seemed like Honda wasn't really sure what it wanted Acura to be. And, you know, he made it very clear. He articulated very clearly that, you know, Acura is going to be the performance brand for Honda. Uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be all about performance and design for going forward for Acura, you know, rather than, you know, um, trying to compete, you know, as more of the pure luxury brand, but, you know, just premium performance. And I think this, you know, assuming that it lives up to, you know, what it is on paper and I fully expect it to, uh, you know, it will definitely meet that, you know, so, you know, powertrains, you know, all turbocharged powertrains this time around the, the base engine is the, the two liter, the same two liter turbo, uh, that you find in the RDX and, you know, it's a slightly detuned version of the, uh, civic type R engine, you know, 272 horsepower, I think, or 276. Um, you know, and then for the, the type S, which will be coming uh, a little bit after launch, uh, there's, they have, there's an all new three liter turbo V6, um, which is going to be unique to Acura, uh, which I don't think they've had, uh, you know, aside from the NSX, I don't think Acura has ever had uh, an engine that is unique to that brand. Uh, so, you know, who knows how long it'll stay Acura only, but for now it's, it's going to be an Acura only engine. Um, and they haven't given any specs on that other than just saying, you know, it'll be more. So I, I would guess it's probably going to be somewhere between 350 and 400 horsepower. Wow. Yeah. But I love that though. I mean, they have to do more of that differentiation, you know, um, mm -hmm. just, I'm, I'm still stuck on the side profile because it's just gorgeous, but like <laughs> the belt line at the proportion of the greenhouse of the belt line is so nice. Cause we've talked about belt lines and greenhouses before how sometimes they're so narrow that it actually encroaches on visibility, but this has just that, that the perfect ratio between the two. The other thing that is, this is very detailed, but is I love the fact that the side mirror is actually two-tone. So the top of it is black to blend in with the windows and the lower part of it is white to blend in with the, the car body. Or, I wonder if yeah, that will body, continue. It's body yeah, it's body, body color, color. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's two-tone though, which I think is kind of cool. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with more colors and what they do. But um, no, I think that, and, and back to the original point of, of differentiation, I think they have to, this, this is how you justify those higher price points. And this is also how you move people into your luxury brand from a strategy standpoint, because we're, because the, the mainstream brands are becoming so good, people have less incentive to move into the luxury version of that product. Like you have to give them a reason to say, this is why you need to buy an Acura versus a Honda. And that needs, that reason needs to be very clear and justifiable. Yeah, well, and I, I think too, like for, for Acura, the opportunity exists to sort of stake out performance in a way that may have been crowded before as we see uh, other brands like uh, Audi and BMW shift toward being luxury and tech. 
uh, and Acker is kind of already there with luxury and tech in their own way. Um, but you know, even the, the film, the, the little, uh, video that they use to just sort of announce the, the card shows it, you know, um, with a little bit of tail out, uh, around a curve and, and they actually just like a, a, a J turn in the, um, the video too. So it, it makes me think that they've paid attention to how it feels from a driving performance perspective. Um, which is, I, I think, going to be important. You know, it was like uh, always the sort of the territory of the traditional German brands. It's like, yes, you can get a lot of the value elsewhere, but you know, nothing drives like like a BMW. And and that, I think, with Acura in particular, the last few times I've driven their cars, they really have that sort of sporty soul that uh, is really, really pleasing you don't necessarily have and, and sort of a, a, a price compared like a, a price parity you know, three series or, or, or whatever, you know, the, or, or even Lexus or infinity, yeah. you know, I mean, infinity right. is typically more performance oriented anyway, but there definitely is opportunity to pull in buyers uh, looking for more excitement than they may experience at the Lexus showroom. Right. And you, you have that sort of, the ability to offer that performance, that level of excitement, plus the luxury, plus the reliability of the, you know, the track record of, of who Acura is. And so I'm excited for it. I, I will also go on record as being biased. I really like Acura cars. So, um, you know, take what I say, perhaps with a grain of salt. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the current generation TLX ace back, you know, when they finally brought back the ace back, I thought, you know, was really good. I love you know, that much, much, much better than, you know, than the, the other trim levels. And, you know, I think take that, you know, and their latest generation of their super handling all wheel drive, their torque vectoring all wheel drive, which has always been really wonderful. You know, when you're, when you're driving aggressively, you know, it, it works great. Um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to trying this out, you know, both ace back and in the, the type S. Well, the, uh, the so, yeah, the, um, if I recall, right. The, the uh the super handling all wheel drive system in the um in the current TLX it it overdrives right so that's where yeah. you can get some of that rotation when it right. when it, it engages it, the rear axle it it'll, it can it, because it has an overdrive ratio it can it can get that rear axle to try to try to pass the front you know and, and that right well it's it's always always done that since they initially launched it back in the early two thousands oh really yeah it's it's had it's done that torque vectoring you know so it'll um it will actually um, you know, there's, there's an electronically controlled clutch pack in the rear axle that can shift the torque to one side or the other. Yeah. So, you know, it will send more torque to the outside rear wheel, which helps turn, helps the car turn in. So even though, you know, this is a, a base front wheel drive, you know, transverse mounted chassis, uh, you know, you, you, that torque vectoring actually helps it turn in better, you know, so it feels more like a rear wheel drive car. And, you know, they can also bias, change the bias front to rear as well, which they do, you know, to, again, to give it more of that rear drive bias. So the combination of those factors, you know, really helps it turn better. Well, I also, but I also thought that in, in, um, uh, yeah, here it is in the press release. Um, in addition to the torque vectoring, uh, the rear axle ratio is, is, uh, 2.9% overdrive. So okay. you get actually more yaw yeah. out of it, uh, because it's, it, it is. It's, it's, it's not like a one-to-one. Um, so 
that's a really neat trick and it works really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes the car really, really fun to drive. So I am um, a little disappointed they're not offering a manual only because the civic manual is so good. So that would have been a fun it's going to have paddles, right? It'll have paddles. They'll have those flappy paddles. Yeah. Just because, you know, the, the Civic one is is such a fun manual to drive. Yeah. Um, but there it is. Nine speed automatic. Well, ho- hopefully, you know, when they uh, bring out the replacement for the ILX, um, mm. which, you know, I've talked to yeah. the Acura folks, you know, at some point there's going to be going to be a replacement for that. Hopefully that car will, with any luck, they will finally bring back the Integra name, you know, and, and oh, make, make that. I had two. Yeah. I used can to you, have two. Can oh. you imagine an Integra Type mm, S that's you know, awesome. with, with the full on, <laughs> you know, Type R powertrain, but, you know, in a more uh, sophisticated body style? That's awesome. And I just have to correct myself. Um, it's actually 10 speed automatic transmission in the 2021. Yeah. The 2020 yeah. has the nine speed. Yeah. That would be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. How about uh, how about the uh, the Ford uh, police vehicle story? I think it's, you know we bitch enough about um, how things have become so software driven and they've taken all our buttons away and all that nonsense. But I, I without giving the, the outline of the story, I suppose I, we should back up. Uh, so Ford, you should click on Sam's story on Ford. Yeah, right, <laughs> and where you'll find that Ford has a little uh, disinfectant hack. Um, where they've they've uh, allowed the interior temperature of their police vehicles to rise to 133 degrees as a little disinfecting cycle um, to to kill any any uh, COVID-19 virus or, or you know a lot of other stuff too, um, and that's a really great example of things you can do that you couldn't do before just with, with a very simple change, um, and it really like it's it's just. It's not that hard, and it's really imaginative. And I was I was really uh, impressed that they they thought that way. It's it's, it's like sideways thinking, um, and and Ford seems to be good at that. And and a and a you know a lot of recent examples. They're they're very clever, uh, and and I think that's just another another example of 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 putting that clever thinking into action. So I want it on my cars now. <laughs> well, do you do you it's really, really want to cool. heat up your cabin of your car to 133 degrees for 15 well, minutes? You're not in it for that time, well, yeah. right? Like, but <laughs> there are some days where that might feel quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, no, it's cool because like before, right? It, with with like an analog based um, uh, HVAC system, the the controls wouldn't allow it to get that warm. You know, you'd have right. I mean, even electronic, you know, automatic climate control systems today typically max out at somewhere around, you know, in the mid like 84, 85 degrees, you know, and that's, that's what they did here is they just did some software changes to, you know, allow the cool, you know, hot coolant, hotter coolant to run through the, the heat exchanger for the, the cabin air and, you know, change the, you know, cha- change the limits, you know, to allow it to get up to 133 degrees, which is enough to bake all of the virus, you know, k- kill the virus, you know, that might be in the cabin of the car. So at the beginning and end of a shift, you know, they can run this cycle and, you know, if they've been transporting anybody who might've been ill, um, you know, take them out first. <laughs> yeah. Take, take them, take them out first, please. Um, but you know, they, you know, you can, they can press a sequence of, of buttons, you know, cruise control buttons in a particular sequence and it'll engage this heating mode They get out of the car, let it sit for 15 minutes and then they can get back in and it's all good. 
It's a great idea. It's super clever. Yeah. And uh, I, I expect we'll see, you know, now, now that Ford's done it, I expect we'll see, um, you know, Ford and, uh, and GM do the same, you know, with their police vehicles as well. You know, it's, it's probably not something that's real practical for individuals and you probably don't really need it for, you know, for individuals, but, you know, perhaps for uh, taxis and, and, you know, some ride hail vehicles, it, it could be useful for that. So. It's an option I would like to have the ability to do yeah. in the disinfect mode. Yeah. All right. Next one. Uh, Speaking another, of Ford. another one from <laughs> Ford. Um, the uh, the Mach One, which we've talked a little bit about in the past, uh, it's official. They've they've announced it officially this week uh, that the Mustang Mach One is is coming back because uh, the GT three fifty is going away at the end of the twenty twenty <sighs> model year. That's so sad. And so they're they're going to do uh, limited production Mach One, which uh, all they've really said about it is that it's going to be the best performing five liter Mustang ever. But they haven't said anything else. It's haven't, not saying much, right? Like, well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm still speculating that this could be a hybrid Mustang um, because, you know, when I was at the uh, backgrounder for the um, the Mach-E last fall, you know, on the timeline that they had in, in, the, the, uh, in the design studio, you know, they showed 2021 Mach-E, Mach-1, and, you know, they promised a, a hybrid Mustang for 2020. And this, this would be an interesting combination. You take the hybrid system that's in the explorer add that to the five liter and you know a couple of years ago i was talking to tom barnes who was the vehicle development engineer for uh vehicle development manager for mustang um or vehicle engineering manager that's it uh for mustang you know, he said that you know the, the hybrid they were working on was going to be a really high performance hybrid so this would make sense that this might be the one you know because if you took the the five liter, you know, the, the version of the five liter that's in the bullet, which is 480 horsepower and the, the hybrid motor, the electric motor that's in the Explorer hybrid, which is another 44 horsepower. Now you're at, you know, 524 horsepower, almost the same as the, the GT350. And, um, you know, you've got an extra boost of low end torque as well because of that electric motor. That could be a very interesting Mustang. The only problem is no manual transmission with that. I, Rebecca's crying. <laughs> it just uh, another day, another topic. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, I I'm sad about the GT350. I know I that car. Yeah, it's just it's so I do too loud and uh, glorious. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I do think the addition of a hybrid though would be very interesting because as we've talked about on this show in particular, that normalization of a hybrid experience, I think that would be really cool to see yeah. how, you know, and if they can get instant torque, like they can utilize it to make it an even more powerful, more fun experience, go for it. It'd be really cool. I think you're over the hump of acceptance as well. Um, I, I think the driving is going to be the real differentiator where you might scratch your head and say a hybrid Mustang. That's, that's a little weird. It seems a little beyond the mission of the Mustang to be efficient and, and to drive it and say, it's not about efficiency. It's about, it's about performance. You know, dare we say them, this is not your father's hybrid. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> no, please don't say that. Cause you know what happened the last time they said that and that brand went away completely. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's, speaking of Oldsmobile again, do you know yeah. that, that that campaign is what led to uh, Mel Blanc um, passing away? 
What? He was he was what? on a shoot. Yeah. The, so this is not your father's Oldsmobile campaign. Um, had Mel Blanc and his son as one of the sort of vignettes, and uh, during the shoot or just after the shoot for for the ad, he he fell and broke his hip, and um, he wound up in the hospital and he got an infection in the hospital. Oh so, man, that sucks. Because of Oldsmobile, he was such he was such a genius. Wow. I, no, I know. You know they, they, um, they just launched HBO Max this week, and I was watching some Looney Tunes cartoons the other day. They're amazing. Oh, I know. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just because of what yeah. we do at work is so animation based, like there's just that history right. of, of like all the, you know, the, the, the guys who came out of, of Warner brothers with, wow. with Looney Tunes. And then, you know, there's a lot of crossover with Disney and there's this guy of iWorks who uh, really was a lot of genius behind Disney stuff. And, and a lot of the animation he did was kind of blue. So <laughs> when they, uh, when, when Disney was like, look, we need your expertise, but we have rules here. <laughs> Because uh, it was before the the codes and stuff, and so it was just really fascinating. We're completely off topic, so yes, we are. We are. Right. We, we topic we of, um, would it be a? Uh, it would be still rear wheel drive though. That would they wouldn't try to do like hybrid on the front axle, so it, it gets. No, I, I don't. Not not on this current generation Mustang. I don't think they could package uh, a front drive system in there. Because um, that would be seriously interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, the next generation Mustang, very possibly. But I think on this current car, I don't know that they could. And, you know, given that this car is already, you know, I mean, there's a new one coming in 2022 anyway. Um, I don't think that they would invest, make that investment in doing all wheel drive on this current generation Mustang. Wow. Huh. They could do wheel motors, right? It's just like a whole bunch of unsprung mass, whatever. Yeah. Cause, <laughs> cause you know, the, all, you know, the thing you really need, you know, with those big six piston Brembo's in the front is and 15 inch calipers or 15 inch rotors is more unsprung mass on the front wheels. <laughs> yeah. And then the motors, you know, it's only like another 30 pounds per. So yeah. Uh, uh, but no, I mean, I think that, that it's the future of uh, high performance cars, you know, is, is uh, hybridization. And uh, so I won't be surprised. I'll be really, really impressed and interested to see how they, they do it though. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee. I mean, it might just be, you know, the, the bullet engine, you know, with, something like the the performance pack level two suspension or a tweaked version of that, you know, so 480 horsepower, or, you know, it could be something else completely different. Hopefully it'll be a, you know, something different, but we'll see. No complaints. If they're going to make cars that perform. I'll, I'll take it. All right. One, one last one before we get to a couple of uh, listener letters. Um, Andy Palmer, he is no longer the CEO at Aston Martin. Rebecca, what do you think? Yes. So this is a tough one um, because I think Andy's, he's such a champion for that brand. And, and, you know, the Aston Martin brand, I've, I've worked with them a number of times, uh, particularly at Pebble beach where I was a judge at, um, for, uh, uh, two years, I, I helped them judge a class of basically gate and built V8s and, talking to the owners, like I still have my notes from my com- my initial conversations with these people because they're incredibly passionate about their ownership experience and about what Aston Martin means and, and the aspiration and, and the, the goal of finally buying an Aston and whether it was new or used, it didn't matter. I, and, and Andy personified so much of that, you know, this is, kind of a, a kid that came up from nothing and and became 
the president of Aston Martin worldwide and, and oversaw expansion and oversaw the IPO. And unfortunately, I think the IPO was his downfall. You know, the stock price was just dreadful for a number of reasons. I think the timing of the IPO was really tough. They've got Brexit to deal with. COVID was, you know, just uh, I, I, another nail in the coffin. I think that Lauren Stroll, so Lauren Stroll has invested hundreds of millions of dollars into the company to revive it. Aston Martin actually has gone bankrupt, I think eight times and has always been saved by the owners, which says a lot about that ownership experience. I looking over some of the Twitter feed and such when, when first of all, how Andy found out is horrible. He found out from, from an FT reporter calling him on a Saturday and that's not okay. So Mercedes, so, so Aston Martin really mishandled that he deserved much, much better than that. But the new guy coming in from Mercedes, uh, AMG, and the first thing that people were asking for on social media was where is his Twitter account? Because this is how they interact with, with each other. There's two things that they do. Saturdays is cars and coffee at home, which is a little bit more U.S. based. Uh, but you basically, it doesn't have to be an Aston Martin, but it certainly helps. You show pictures of, of cars that you're with. Uh, and, you know, obviously, instead of being able to meet with each other. So they have this really fun campaign that everyone participates in. But, you know, it's on social and it's a big deal. And then Sundays is, is hashtag us. Sunday, and you again, owners uh, will show pictures on Sundays of themselves driving around there with their Aston Martins. It, it's just a, it's a, it's a very, it's a group of very gregarious, camaraderie-filled people and owners of these, you know, beautiful, highly, highly valued, very expensive cars, but with an approachability to the brand that I don't think is fostered in a lot of other brands. You know, you don't see these kinds of things from Rolls Royce, uh, you know, or for, from Lambo. It's, it's a very, it seems to be very specific to Aston Martin. So I think that once Lawrence came in, I, I, I think that Andy's days were numbered, you know, Penny Hughes was the, she was the chairman of the, of the board of, of Aston and, and she got booted a few months ago. And if anything, I was more surprised that Andy lasted as long as he did. I was hoping they would let him see through to the DBX launch, the SGV launch, um, because that's really been something that he championed. Obviously it got delayed because of COVID. So that was the DBX was supposed to launch in April. I, and I'm, I was sad to see him go and I'm sad to see uh, how it happened and just the timing of it. So I wish the new guy, I can't remember his name. I should have it Tobias right. Moore. Tobias, Tobias Moore. that's right. Yes. Um, coming from AMG, you know, he's done an incredible job growing that brand. But if, if I was ever given the opportunity to talk to him, I would tell him that you've got to engage with these owners because they, they, they want it, they demand it. Uh, and it's, and it's a way to keep them loyal to this brand. What, what if any impact do you think this is going to have on the product plans that, that Aston Martin has announced, you know, uh, they've, you know they've announced this, this plan to bring out this range of new mid engine cars, you know, starting, you know, obviously you've got the Valkyrie as this, this halo, 
you know, but yeah. then, you know, new, some you know, new van, new mid-engine Vanquish and a couple of other models. So a lot of that will be dictated by Lawrence Stroll because he is a, a key investor. He's actually already canceled things like, or put on hold, postponed, um, the relaunch of the Lagonda brand as an all electric brand. He's like, ah, time out. You know, I think that everything is up for discussion right now. Uh, one thing I should have mentioned too, is that uh, Mercedes supplies Aston Martin with engines. And so there has been some, uh, an infotainment system as well. So there, there had um, at least one infotainment system. I don't know if it's across the board, but there has been a collaboration with these two companies before. So it's not entirely surprising that they pulled somebody from AMG. I think that that Lawrence is looking at every every decision, every product. I, I think he'll, you know, they first of all they've just got to get their balance sheet back. They've got to get their stock price back. They've got to launch this DBX. Everything rests on this DBX. So it's a beautiful vehicle. I've sat in it. I haven't driven it. Um, I sat in it actually more than a year ago, and I loved the proportion of it. I definitely got you know some behind the scenes feel for it, and and based on the videos that have come out and that have been shot, I, and and the initial uh, sales orders, I think it will be very successful. You know, I actually have a vantage this week that I'll talk about in our next podcast, uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know, it's such a fun car, but it is very small. I mean, you can toss it around like nobody's business, but how I would love to be in a DBX to run, you know, to do more around the town errands with it and, and the opportunity to drive something as, as beautifully made and beautifully done as an Aston in an SUV, I think is going to be a fantastic opportunity. So I think this stroll will take, take every decision carefully and really look at it from a from a business and non-emotional side i have good friends that are good friends with him and that have worked with him and we were talking about it last night and you know he's not a man to be trifled with he doesn't uh, suffer fools i think that he i think maybe one of andy's downfalls was that he was too emotional potentially and too invested in this brand so i think that both between tobias and Lawrence, they will be making decisions that are very, very much based on balance sheet. Well, and there's been a, um, their stock price took a bump up when uh, the announcement came out. I don't know where it sits today, but uh, the, the market sort of responded, um, at least um, in, in the UK. Uh, can we still call it the UK? Yeah, yeah right. it's still the UK. Okay. It's just not part of Europe anymore. Right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, uh, so there it was. It was up um, when they announced on the twenty sixth um, that it, the stock was up. At least yeah, it's. I mean, uh, I think people unfortunately lost confidence in Andy because of the stock price. Yeah, well, that, so that's sort of like the double edged sword. Like, why did it need to be a public company? Um, and I, I yeah. think it's it's mostly that the investors would like a return, or they'd like a, a you know a higher multiple on their return. Which, and we've we've seen this right when you take a company public, you you shift the responsibilities of of the company for better or for worse. Um, you know, when it's a public company, they're a car maker, but really their their job, their primary product is, is shareholder value, right? Right. Um, so you could kind of look at that a little cynically and, and see if that's going to actually last or if, if it will be the downfall of the company having gone public. Um, but the long gestation of the DBX is sort of a, another 
another problem, right? Like that's, it was just taken forever. And, and like you say, like the, the classic Astons, um, they're cool and they're definitely, you know, they're like the nine eleven, right? Like not everybody's going to buy a nine eleven, but there's a lot of people who want a Porsche that would, would definitely fork over for a Cayenne. So yeah. the fact that it's taken so long for the DBX, like it's, it, you sat in it a year ago, like you said, it's, it's just. Yeah. I mean, frankly, I was surprised when we were talking about it back in June, June of last year, when I first saw it and sat in the prototype and they were talking about in April, I was like, April. I mean, I, I kept expecting it to be by year end. Like, I thought that's when the launch was going to be in that December, you know, November, December timeframe. So I, I don't really know what's the, what the delays have been. There's a, again, there's a ton of opportunity of China. 50% of all Aston Martin buyers in China are women. Uh, which is significant. And so, you know, this DBX could could make that even, even more extreme. Obviously it's not how it is in any other part of the world, but yeah, the delays have, have, have certainly uh, not helped their situation. Yeah. Well, I, it's, it sucks for Andy. Um, I hope that he lands softly somewhere because he does seem like a genuinely nice guy and passionate. Yeah. And, um, I identify with that. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something exactly. something that you aspire to be someday. Yeah, a genuinely nice guy. Yeah. And soft. No, no, that's not. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to questions. Okay. So uh, first one, not really so much of a question, uh, is from Sean in Seattle. Uh, I was listening to the Leaf discussion while watching the last two-wheel, two-wheel drive, four-cylinder Japanese wagon, and he included a photo of his garage which includes a, a red Acura TL uh, or TLX, yeah, TLX uh, wagon, um, which was a lovely car. Um, and uh, it'll be a sad day when it needs to be replaced. Uh, we picked up our use, our leaf used uh, and it's a first generation leaf um, and ditched a Honda Civic. Uh, the leaf is a perfect second car. Hopefully the e-tron or I-pace will plummet in price when the leaf needs to be replaced. Um, and you know, I, I'm sure that the, the prices will be substantially lower than what they are today. I don't know if I'd necessarily say plummet. I don't know if they'll be in, in the right ballpark to replace a, a used leaf, which, you know, used leaves, we've talked about this. You can get used, used leaf, especially a first gen leaf for a song, you know, and a lot of the other hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. A lot, a lot of the, you know, the early 2000, early 2010s EVs, you know, uh, you know, up until the current generation. You know, they're well under 10 grand now. And, you know, if you need something like that, you know, as a round town commuter, you know, not obviously not for long distances, but, you know, for, you know, something with 60, 70, 80 miles of range, you know, a, a vehicle like that is is an awesome choice for you. You could probably get a, a, an I-Pace that cheap soon. <laughs> Use Jaguars just go... <laughs> yeah, get, right off the, the cliff. By the time you need to replace this leaf, uh, you may well be able to get it. I pace in that price range, and that's uh, that's a cool car. Actually, yeah. it's it's yeah, really it's gorgeous. Uh, it's just neat to look at that and see all of the sort of engineering that you don't necessarily pick up until you start to to look at it closely. Okay. Um. So the the other one was from RD, uh, from Ray Davis. Um says uh really enjoy the podcast and listen to all the new episodes thank you ray we appreciate that and tell all your friends um 
I think I heard uh, Sam mention that you own a relatively new Honda Civic. I'm considering purchasing a Civic EXL and want to know what you think about the hatch and non-hatch models. Does the EXL non-hatch handle better than a hatch? Uh, and does either version have a quieter ride, less road, and wind noise? So, yeah, um, we own a 2017 uh, EX hatch, not an EXL, but an EX. Um, and uh, we love it. You know, it, as far as the handling goes, you know, I've driven a number of, um, you know, current generation Civic sedans and hatchbacks uh, of various trim levels from the base you know, for, or at least from uh, from a, uh, a hatch sport, which is basically the base hatch, you know, the LX, uh, but with bigger wheels and uh, about four more horsepower, uh, all the way up to the various touring trim levels and, of course, the Type R. And, you know, I've never really noticed, you know, for, at a given trim level, you know, with the same tires on there, I've never really noticed any significant difference in the handling between one or the other. Have either of you noticed any any noticeable difference in the behavior of a hatch versus a coupe or sedan? I haven't. I, I, and I'm I'm very biased towards hatches though, because they're just so darn practical. Mm -hmm. I, I just I don't I don't think that the driving experience is compromised by a hatch. I certainly don't recall it being any louder than a sedan. I can say, I mean, I can I totally understand why he would be concerned about that, but I just, I love the practicality and the usefulness of a hatchback. I, yeah, I was going to say, I think that, um, the, the bigger concern would be the noise level difference. And, uh, I've noticed in some, I can't say that the civic specifically, it's been a while since I've been in one. Um, but Usually when you have the hatch down, you got that the the cargo cover in place and the back seats up, the noise levels are are fine. It's when you when you fold the seats down and uh, start to use it for cargo, uh, which isn't all the time that you're you're probably gonna get a little bit more road noise. Uh but overall I don't think I could say that the hatch or the sedan handles any differently. Um th those the the bigger difference with the Civic obviously is is you know the trim levels and and so something like the Sport or the SI is gonna gonna handle noticeably different than than the X. Yeah, um, and you know I think in the case of this this generation of Civic, you know because Honda designed the hatchback, you know designed it you know with the Type R in mind, you know being the the high performance version of it, you know I think that they made sure that there was no no degradation in structural integrity with the hatchback. You know, I know back in the, you know, in the eighties, seventies and eighties, you know, if you, especially like with the, the first generation golf, as an example, uh, when they, when they launched the, uh, uh, the, the original Jetta, you know, and you put that up against a, a, a gen one golf, there was a, a difference in the, the rigidity and also, you know, things like even like a Fox body Mustang, uh, for example, from the, from the eighties, you know, the hatchback, you know, the, the GT hatchbacks versus, you know, the, the sedan, you know, the, the coupe, um, there was a noticeable difference in rigidity because, you know, you had a unibody, you know, with a big hole in the back, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and there, there was a difference, but I think that that's something that, uh, you know, with, with modern engineering techniques, you know, they've, and materials, they've figured out how to overcome that and, you know, really make hatchbacks be just as, as, as tight as a sedan, as, as you said, Dan, 
you know, with, you know, if you have the seats folded down and the cargo cover out of the way, you might notice a little bit more boominess or echo in there, you know, just because you suddenly have a much larger volume there. Yeah. But in terms of structural integrity, I, I, I have, I've never really noticed any, any difference. And so I don't think that that's really a problem. I just, my, and my favorite Civic is actually the Insight, <laughs> which they don't make as a hatch, which is yeah. kind of too bad. I wish they made that a, as a hatch because that's, that's such an, it's a, it's just a really nice car. It's, it's calming. It's, it's got a certain serenity to its driving experience. Very zen. Uh, yeah, absolutely. For you. I, I mean, yes. As I, I'm constantly seeking serenity. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's about it for this week. Cool. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've done another show and we'll come back next time and, and uh, have some more. So send the questions and uh, you know where to find us. All right. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, we, we still haven't received that check from Spotify. But, you know, if you are a Spotify listener, you can listen to the to wheel bearings on Spotify. It's there. It's in their directory. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we'll be here waiting for that check, uh, you know, Spotify. <laughs> um, you know, I, mean, I think you need to still have like nine million plays before you get a dime, <laughs> uh, okay, like an maybe. actual dime. Maybe, maybe that's it. <laughs> well, I mean, they just, you know, they just bought Joe Rogan's show for a hundred million dollars. So maybe that's it. Maybe we're just not whack job enough. Uh, that could be it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Could definitely be it. <laughs> but, uh, and, and you can also find us everywhere else. You can listen to, to, to uh, podcasts, you know, on your, on the web or in any podcast player of your choice, you can, you can find us there, whether it's Apple podcasts or overcast or pocket casts or Google podcasts. We're, we're there in all of them now. So thanks everybody. See you. Thanks everyone. Bye. Stay safe out there. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.